Welcome, Welcome to, to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Matt Strawn and Allie Terry. We Woo! are in somebody's closet that's been converted <laughs> into a recording studio. We are at, very graciously, um, Nick from the Rex is allowing us to use his recording studio for episode seven of Let's Get Haunted. Yeah. Um, it's very rock and roll. Very There's guitars hanging on the wall. Yeah. Guitars, yeah. red lights, a teddy bear. There was people sleeping on the couch when we came in. Have yeah. Have tiptoe around them. It's like noon. Yeah. <laughs> Empty champagne bottles. A Rex all access backstage pass. You know who's getting wrecked is me. My confidence. I'm never going to be this cool. Yeah. <laughs> is Steve, your Steve, editing this episode too? Uh, yes. He said that he'll edit this one because you're working on our uh, vlog. I know. Which is going to be great. Yeah. For Coachella. So I'm so excited. We went to Coachella and I don't want to give it away, but there's a video coming out about it. And so I need you guys all to subscribe to my YouTube channel if yeah. you want to see it because I'm literally going to make it private. So that you can't see it. I mean, I maybe I won't do that, but yeah. just please subscribe to it. Okay. <laughs> subscribe to it. Support us because, I mean, we make some questionable decisions, but at the end of the day, who got on stage? We did. So yeah, we did. all of the questionable decisions that we make, there's a point to them because they work out. You know, I uh, Coachella is, I kept noticing when I was there that it's just I what I would like to call like a dick sucking fest because everyone's just like, I'm wearing this designer and my hair looks like this. Like I'm doing this. Like who did you see? And I feel like it's such a, uh, a festival where everyone's just trying to like one up each other, you know? Mm -hmm. And Alyssa and I have a friend who literally, like, made one of the stages. Yeah. So we got to go backstage at the Doolab and got to, like, hang out there. And when we were sitting there, there to me and Alyssa, we're, like, sitting there being like, oh, my God, it's, so, it's like, 6 p.m. and the sun is way too hot right now. Like, how many more hours do we have? <laughs> Alyssa's like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to survive, like, another year. <laughs> like, I can't Me with that. my 101-degree fever. Yeah, it like. was very haunted. But my point is, is that these two guys sat down next to us. They were like, where are you guys staying? And they made it very clear to show us that they had like artist wristbands on, mm -hmm. but they were like, where are you guys staying? And we were like, oh, we're staying like with our college friends. We're like sleeping in a like twin beds, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're just hanging out with our friends. And they're like, oh, we're staying at the Ritz. He so name he was dropped named that. Yeah. He was like, we're staying at the Ritz. And I was like, oh, wow, that's it sounds super nice. And he was like, yeah. Um, have you ever heard of whoever his dad is? I like can't even remember who it was. He was like, have you ever heard of this person? And I was like, no, I don't know. And they're like, well, they're, they're, they're playing Coachella at this stage. Like, you know, they're a big artist. And I was like, oh, cool. And they're like, like, well, that's my stepdad, and um, <laughs> I'm. Uh, we're going to this sick after party after this at this like mansion in the middle of da da da. And I was like, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. We went to bed at 8 p.m. last night. Like, I highly doubt that we're gonna come to your, you know, whatever event. And then I was just like, what's your angle? Are you just like going around trying to like uh, use your stepdad's fame to get girls to come to this after party? And his friend jaw was on the floor. Yeah, because yeah. it was true. It was true. And he just like looked at me and was like, oh, my God, and started cracking up. It's not that hard to see exactly what you guys are doing. If I was like maybe not from L.A. and didn't know how things work, maybe I would have been like, oh, wow, an after party with celebs at a mansion. That's so sick. What's going to happen? Am I going to be <laughs> a star? Wow. And like what's really going to happen is you're going to go there. You're going to have to chat up like a bunch of these like weird leech people who are like friends with famous people i'm very sober and i'm not going to make myself get like super fucked up just so i can enjoy this shitty party yeah sorry true yeah true that but 
But we I had fun. We did have fun. Yeah, I just wanted to like get everyone excited to watch our video. Steve, just edit this all out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Steve, Steve having control of the editing is just like... I'm so interested to see what he does with it. Well, I'm kind of nervous because when you tell a story and I edit, or when I tell a story and you edit, like... We make each other sound less dumb. <laughs> we make each other sound less dumb, but we also don't let anything bad get through the cracks. Yeah, you know? and Steve just doesn't care. Yeah, with cancel culture, I'm scared. Oh, so I did a... Um, speaking of cancel culture, I did an Ask Me Anything on my Instagram the other night, and somebody asked me, what do you think of cancel culture? And my response was, Lame. and is, so I'm going to say this again... To me, most of the time, and there are some huge exceptions, obviously, but most of the time, cancel culture does not make sense to me because the entire purpose of being a human is to learn and grow from one's past mistakes and experiences. Also, does canceling someone really fix the problem is the second point I want to make. Is telling someone, hey, you're terrible, you don't deserve to have a platform, like, fuck you, you're an awful person because they say something ignorant. Mm -hmm. Is that going to change anybody's mind or is ostracizing someone just going to push them deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole of ignorance? I actually think the best way to start a conversation about something that you think is like cancel worthy is just to be like, hey, like, let's just talk about that. You yeah. Know? Like, uh, t tell me tell me about that joke you said or like, tell me about why you tweeted that or because uh, I'm just like, I'm trying to understand where that's coming from. And I think I, I don't understand. Philosophically speaking. At, at what point is the path to redemption impassable? And what I mean by that is, are there some transgressions where there is no hope for somebody to ever change their ways? Yeah. All right, you guys came to talk about fucking Bigfoot and ghosts and shit. Oh, and, yes. And we're like, um, let me tell you our opinions on... And now we've gone down a rabbit hole. How? Which, my story today, we're going to go down a fucking huge rabbit hole. So everyone well, needs to strap in claustrophobia so yeah. that makes me nervous but I'm just down. close your eyes as you sink deeper into the conspiracy oh. that we'll be discussing today but prior to that I did want to say thank you so much to everyone who came to the live show oh yeah yeah we had so much fun yes someone made us ornaments which was super sweet yes yeah and, uh, and like you guys are really 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 cool and uh, and yeah. we met so many of you that are in the discord server mm -hmm. so if you guys aren't in the let's get haunted discord Go to our subreddit because I know that the link is there because yeah. I don't know the link offhand, but it's um, fan run. We don't run it. We do participate in it. We are members, uh, but we're not the moderators. I participate too much in it. Someone DM'd me and was like, hey, so you really like be wild and out and make your own <laughs> fan discord. And I'm like, look. This is all I have right now, okay? <laughs> like, these are my friends. Like. We're very interactive <laughs> is the point, though. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. So, Natalia, today's story that I'm talking to you about takes place in my favorite country for conspiracy theories. Can you guess what country we are, our story takes place in today? Soviet Russia. How did you know? Mm, is it aliens? I can't. No, no. No guessing I can't for that. can't confirm or deny. Can't confirm or deny. But what I will tell you is our story takes place during my favorite era. In the era. winter communist era Russia. The Cold War. The Cold, the War. Cold War. Yep. During the Cold War. So some of you may remember from episode one, we had a story that was, in my opinion, an alien story from Cold War Russia. And this story actually takes place during the same time. And I think that people that listened to episode one and enjoyed it are really going to enjoy this episode because... There's just a lot of information that I think is applicable to the first episode as well. There are some callbacks. Natalia, what kinds of stories have we covered so far on our podcast? 
Lost G- Dutchman's Treasure. That's the only one you ever remember. <laughs> uh, we've we've covered uh, aliens. We've covered exorcisms. We've covered hauntings, hauntings, ghost stories. We've covered um, haunted properties. We've covered urban legends. Urban legend, yeah, urban legends. The elevator game. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Yeah. So we've covered quite a few concepts, but we haven't completely delved into government conspiracies yet. Oh, no. So today. I'm triggered. I know. So today we are going to be covering a government conspiracy. And I wanted to start off this episode reading an excerpt from a 2014 Newsweek article written by Kurt Eichenwald titled The Dirty Secrets Behind the Race to Put a Man on the Moon. And the reason why I want to read this excerpt is because, wow, the talent that Kurt Eichenwald has, I can't relate. And so I didn't want (laughs) to try to paraphrase him. I want to give him credit and I want to just read to you an introduction to his Newsweek article from 2014. Wrestling with the huge steering wheel, a CIA agent carefully backed the large flatbed truck through an entrance in the 10-foot wooden fence surrounding a salvage yard. As the truck rumbled to a stop, covert intelligence operatives, moving quickly under the cover of night, pushed the gate closed, barely clearing the front bumper. They then all rushed to the back of the truck, hopped inside, and delicately pried open the giant wooden crate it carried, being careful to leave no marks. With that, the first stage of their secret mission was complete. U.S. intelligence had stolen, or more accurately, borrowed, wink, wink, one of the Soviet Union's most important technologies, a lunic space vehicle, a key component in the Soviet Union's race with the U.S. to be the first to reach the moon. The kidnapping of that missile, done without the Soviets ever knowing about it, is one of the many wild and sometimes weird secret operations and schemes exposed for the first time in a series of recently declassified government documents concerning the so-called space race. This is not the stirring tale of macho crew cuts and heroic deeds from the right stuff that is now a fat chapter in every U.S. high school history book. This is a tale replete with fumbling, bumbling, bickering, and at least one insane-sounding notion to nuke the moon. The polished smooth yes. yes. The polished smooth history of America's successful effort to land a man on the moon starts with President John F. Kennedy announcing in 1961 his plan to send a manned mission there by the end of the decade and culminates 8 years later with Neil Armstrong stepping out of a lunar landing module and declaring that he was taking a small step for man but a giant one for mankind. Instead, the just-released documents from the 1950s and 60s, many of which were obtained by the National Security Archive at George Washington University, describe a much messier and sometimes quite frightening story about what was arguably the most important international competition in human history. Many of the plans prepared by the American military focused on how the moon could be used for warfare. Designs were drawn up for building nuclear reactors there, although no one seems to have given much thought to where in the vacuum of space the resulting radioactive waste would be disposed of. Detailed studies recommended that the U.S. detonate a nuclear weapon near or on the moon, partly in hopes of setting off a moon quake and partly to scare the crap out of the Russians. The reasons for frantic scheming on both sides of the Cold War were not just the altruistic advancements of science and a chance to feed national pride. Both countries wanted to get to the moon first because they thought it would give them military superiority in their long, bitter, and costly Cold War. So a lot of the things we're going to be discussing today... Hold on a second. One second. That was really hard for me to pay attention to. Like, my mind... Like, there were some parts that really caught my attention. I was like, nuke the moon? Like, highlight, highlight, what? 
but I don't I feel like I feel like I'm one of those people where I can read something in a textbook and like finish faster than anybody else and then retain none of that and fail the test. So can you just like bullet point in your own words for me yeah. what that was? Totally. <laughs> I actually made a PowerPoint for you, Natalia. Yay. The Cold War was a super long war. It cost a lot of money. The space race is what we're going to be focusing on today. And the space race took place between 1957 and 1975. It was a competition in the exploration of space between the United States and the Soviet Union. The space race included the exploration of outer space using rocket technology with artificial satellites to send animals and humans into space and yeah. to land people on the moon. I remember the dog died in space. Gotta talk slower because it sounds... I can't focus it's like you're a professor giving a lecture and I, my mind is just like wait what did I say last night that was embarrassing so we're talking about the space race today space race started in 1957 and ended in 1975 our story today takes place at the beginning of the space race and the space race was basically a competition between the U.S. and the USSR to see who could one put a man into space first and two, put a man on the moon first. So it wasn't about making a new race of people who were from space. No, it was not. Man. I know. That would have been way cooler. Wrong. I know. I, know. Oh, I wish. <laughs> yeah. So And so that article that I just read is basically explaining that all of these documents that were previously classified and became declassified in the 2000s show us that not only were we just altruistically trying to put a man into space to just prove a point yeah. or, you know, for furtherment of mankind, it was actually because the U.S. and the USSR were trying to assert their dominance as world powers. Right. And so so it was very much a competition to see who was superior. And because of that, there was a lot of mystery surrounding some of the experiments and rockets and just goings on of the time. It was a dick sucking contest. It was like Coachella. It was like, oh, well, you have general admission wristband. I am an artist. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it was not a friendly competition, right? Like some, yeah. you know, when you read a children's textbook, because I remember very distinctly learning about the space race in like middle school or elementary school. And I remember the full extent of the explanation was like, we wanted to see if we could have technology to get to the moon. Mm -hmm. And it's like very sugar-coated. And that's really not what this was about. It was just a really intense. Yeah. It was like the pilgrims and the Indians had like a, a Thanksgiving. Yeah, they were together. appreciative of each other. Let's all dress up like pilgrims and Native Americans and have a Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was so <laughs> friendly. We didn't give them smallpox. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the space race actually started as the Russians developed rocket technology and launched Sputnik, the first artificial satellite to orbit the Earth on October 4th, 1957. The space race ended in 1975 with the Apollo Soyuz space project. Okay. Okay. So we're going to be talking about, I have a timeline here for us. So it starts here in October 4th, 1957. USSR launches Sputnik 1. And I'm going to be putting these pictures on our Instagram, so nobody worry. So here's a picture of Sputnik 1. Yeah. Sputnik was the name of the first artificial satellite to orbit Earth and was launched by the USSR on October 4th, 1957. The word Sputnik means fellow wanderer in Russian, but has become synonymous with satellite in modern Russian. Sputnik 1 was the first of a series of Russian artificial satellites sent into orbit around Earth during the late 1950s. Sputnik 1 weighed just 184 pounds with a diameter of 23 inches across. 
Sputnik 1 terrified the American public as the satellite made an orbit every 96 minutes and became a constant reminder and a symbol of Soviet space supremacy. Sputnik 1 was in orbit around the Earth for three months, after which time it burned up in the atmosphere. Wow, Sputnik 1 literally going to outer space and I can't get a text back. Right. Yeah, Sputnik 1 going into outer space with less technology than our iPhones. Before humans went into space, one of the prevailing theories of the perils of spaceflight was that humans might not be able to survive long periods of weightlessness. For several years, there had been serious debate among scientists about the effects of prolonged weightlessness. American and Russian scientists utilized animals, mainly monkeys, chimps, and dogs, in order to test each country's ability to launch a living organism into space and bring it back alive and unharmed. So the first such test was on June 11, 1948, so a little bit prior to the space race. A V-2 Blossom launched into space from White Sands, New Mexico, carrying Albert I, a rhesus monkey. Lack of fanfare and documentation made Albert an unsung hero of animal astronauts. On June 14th, 1949. Oh, yeah. June 14th. On June 14th, 1949, a second V-2 flight carrying a live Air Force Aeromedical Laboratory monkey, Albert II, attained an altitude of 83 miles. The monkey died on impact. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I will remember that for the rest of my life. That it happened on on your birthday. On August 31st, 1950, another V-2 was launched and carried an anesthetized mouse that was photographed in flight and did not survive impact. On December 12, 1949, the last V-2 monkey flight was launched at White Sands. Albert IV, a rhesus monkey attached to monitoring instruments, was the payload. It was a successful flight with no ill effects on the monkey until impact when it died. Oh, dude. Okay, so I this is sad. All right, this is sad for me. I've been, I've cared about animal rights for a long time to the point where I was literally a vegetarian for seven years. So this is sad to me, but at the same time, imagining like a monkey wearing a little astronaut suit, having no fucking idea what's going on, and they're just like, yeah, man, you're going to space, and you're like do 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 like like i'm going to space i'm gonna be an astronaut having no idea that you're about to get like smashed at like right yeah miles an hour (laughs) into the side of a planet like imagine a fucking mouse it's like the size of the palm of your hand right like going in a little spaceship it's so funny and i actually have some pictures to show you in just a minute but not yet so on September 20th, 1951, a monkey named Yorick and 11 mice were recovered after an Araby missile flight of 236,000 feet at Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico. Yorick got a fair amount of press as the first monkey to live through a space flight. And I have a cute little story about this monkey. So in the book, The Right Stuff, which the first article mentions because it's so popular yeah. and it's often referenced in history books because it's like a glossed over version yeah. of the space race. They talk about this monkey because he lived. Mm-hmm. And apparently when the monkey was recovered from his spacecraft he had PTSD well they thought he was going to have PTSD and they open it up and they're expecting him to be like all agitated and screaming when they open it up the monkey is just standing there in the middle of the spacecraft with his arms crossed looking super bored dude he was probably so pissed off he was like you know what my entire life you guys have like given me like the banana and then like given me water and like you know I I take your you know stupid shots and I, I do everything I'm supposed to do and I go over here and I sat down and you guys gave me 
these snacks having no idea what was gonna happen you sent my ass into orbit yeah like what the fuck was that you assholes (laughs) now you open up my spacecraft as if i'm just supposed to be fine with it and so they open it up and he's like the monkey's refusing to look at them and he's just pissed off with his arms crossed standing there and finally someone pulls out an apple and the monkey doesn't even look at them just reaches out takes the apple and takes a bite and is just standing there super angry inside the spacecraft like bored that's so amazing i know i love it literally be me i would be like wow you guys did not care whether i lived or died right like i did all this shit for you and now what an apple apple? (laughs) yeah like bullshit but i am hungry and i will eat it (laughs) yeah how long was he in space for um it doesn't say but what they normally did was they just because this wasn't space this was um prior to to being able to put someone actually in outer space so what they would do is they would just see how high up they could shoot them oh that's horrible (laughs) i know i know imagine you know the like slingshot like uh rides that are at six flags yes yes imagine (laughs) being in that but you're an animal and have no idea yeah just no concept of what's happening yeah right and all of a sudden you have g-force you're stuck to yes and yeah yeah okay so on may 22nd 1952 two philippine monkeys patricia and mike were enclosed in an araby nose section they're from the philippines and their name is patricia and mike gentrification if i ever heard of it come on guys um were enclosed in an araby nose section at holloman air force base patricia was placed in a seated position and mike in a prone position to determine the differences in the effects of rapid acceleration Fired 36 miles up at the speed of 2,000 miles per hour, these two monkeys were the first primates to reach such a high altitude. Also on this flight were two white mice, Mildred and Albert. They were inside a slowly rotating drum where they could float during the period of weightlessness. The section containing the animals was recovered safely from the upper atmosphere by parachute. Patricia died of natural causes about two years later, and Mike died in 1967, both at the National Zoological Park in Washington, D.C. The Soviets... So that was all American experimentation using animals. The Soviets kept close tabs on what the U.S. was doing with their V-2 and Arabi missile projects during the early 1950s. Basing their experiments on American biomedical research, Soviet rocket pioneer Sergei Korolev, his biomedical expert Vladimir Yazdovsky, and a small team used mice, rats, and rabbits as one-way passengers for their initial tests. One-way passengers. Yeah. Are you hearing this? They so, never planned to bring them back down. Yeah, I, I knew that, though. Yeah. Like, I was, when you were telling me that the Americans, like, even tried to, ca- like, get them back i was like why it's so expensive well but they i guess my point is so the difference if you believe in animal rights both are fucked up right okay right however the difference is the americans were trying to bring them back alive because that was the whole purpose of the experiment can humans survive in weightlessness can humans survive right. the g-forces and the russians are just like the russians are like who cares right They're yeah like, we, we we we're just trying to get to the moon first guys like, yeah exactly you guys are why are you why are you, why do you even so care many steps ahead like, yeah exactly about this part <laughs> exactly and so this becomes important later to our conspiracy that we're talking about so they needed to gather data to design a cabin to carry a human being into space eventually they chose small dogs for this phase of testing dogs were chosen over monkeys because it was felt that they would be less fidgety in flight yeah they're aka dumber. dogs are dumber yeah yes. a test with two dogs would allow for more accurate results they chose females because of the relative ease of controlling waste and what they mean by that is that females generally don't have dicks and so they're not spraying pee everywhere so they can just like stick a catheter in the female dogs or like some sort of waste catcher underneath Mm -hmm. them and it was thought to be easier okay between 1951 and 1952 the soviet r1 series rockets carried nine dogs all together with three dogs flying twice 
Each flight carried a pair of dogs in hermetically sealed containers that were recovered by parachute. Of these early space-bound hounds, a few have been remembered by name. On August 15, 1951, Desik and Saigan were launched. These two were the first canine suborbital astronauts. They were successfully retrieved. In early September 1951, Desik and Lisa were launched. This second early Russian dog flight was unsuccessful. The dogs died, but a data recorder survived. Shortly afterwards, Smilaya and Malishka were launched. Smilaya ran off the day before the launch. The crew was worried that wolves that lived nearby would eat her. She returned a day later and the test flight resumed successfully. Can you imagine? Mm. You're just a dog. You're like, I don't want to go to outer space. I'm tired of these experiments. I'm running away. Then you realize that you're running away in an area with a bunch of wolves. Yeah. And so you're like, I guess I have to come back. My chances of survival are better in outer space. I'm gonna go to space now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The fourth test launch. Or was it like, am I good enough to go to space? Yeah. <laughs> She's finding everyone's, herself. Everyone's expecting me to go to space. I don't. I haven't trained for this. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I'm like running away, and it's like she has a montage of like her like building a shelter for her to survive yeah. and like fighting off a wolf. And it's like I'm that hero. I'm ready for space. It's a coming of age moment for her in a teen <laughs> movie. <laughs> I am good enough to go to space. <laughs> I fought off the wolves. I built a shelter. The fourth test launch was a failure with two dog fatalities. However, in the same month. The fifth test launch of two dogs was successful. On September 15, 1951, the sixth of two dog launches occurred. One of the two dogs, Bobic, escaped and a replacement was found near the local canteen. She was a mutt and given the name Zib, the Russian acronym for substitute for missing dog Bobic. She, she doesn't even have a name. So they're literally like, well, we just lost this dog, but we've invested millions in do of dollars in this. Like, hey, they like find this butt on the side of the street. And they're like, yo, do you want to make do you want to treat? Yeah, basically. <laughs> also, like, why did these how did these dogs keep escaping? If you're spending that much money to do these experiments, would you not keep track of your dogs? Like put a leash on it or just like anything, yeah. like literally anything. Yeah. The two dogs reached 100 kilometers and returned successfully. Other dogs associated with this series of flights include Albina, Dimka, Modnista, and Koziyavka. These animals, while instrumental in paving the way to human spaceflight, were just the precursors for animals who would enter space during the official space race. So like I said, the Cold War space race lasted from 1957 until 1975 and was a competition in the exploration of space between the U.S. and the USSR. As I just explained at the beginning of this episode, the space race was about much more than being the first world power to put a human in space. It was about image, power, and military superiority. Both the USSR and the U.S. were frantic to beat the other and solidify themselves as the dominating world power. The space race included the exploration of outer space using rocket technology with artificial satellites to send animals and humans into space and to land people on the moon. The space race started as the Russians developed rocket technology and launched Sputnik, which I already talked about, in 1957 and ended in 1975. So let's talk about Sputnik. October 4th, 1957... Sputnik is launched as the first artificial satellite to orbit Earth successfully. So the Russians are winning at this point, right? Mm -hmm. The Russians are the first ones to do this. Then November 3rd, 1957, they launched Sputnik 2, and it's carrying with it a small stray dog named Laika that was found roaming the streets of Moscow. Aboard the Sputnik 2, Laika becomes the first animal to orbit the Earth. Little was known about the impact of spaceflight on living creatures at the time of Laika's mission, and then technology to deorbit had not yet been developed. Yeah, I know the story. So they just didn't make provisions for the dog to come right. back. Right. So somewhere out there, this dog bone 
unless uh, this unless it's returned already and evaporated yeah so i'll tell you about that so you're right you're totally right they had no plans to bring this dog back they were not planning on her surviving and some scientists believed that humans would be unable to survive the launch or the conditions of outer space so engineers viewed flights by animals as a necessary precursor to human missions the experiment aimed to prove that a living passenger could survive being launched into orbit and endure a micro g environment paving the way for human spaceflight and providing scientists with some of the first data on how living organisms react to spaceflight environments Leica died within five to seven hours from overheating mm. caused by a failure of the central r7 sustainer to separate from the payload the true cause and time of her death were not made public because like i said this was all like anything that failed the ussr did not want anybody right. to know it's about like, it they're like north korea vibes yes yeah, yeah it's like we're steeped powerful, in secrecy everything is secret mm-hmm only yeah. hear about our accomplishments and we're going to exaggerate our accomplishments right right so in 2002 when a bunch of documents were declassified prior to that they reported that she died on day six via a humane euthanization prior to her oxygen running out mm-hmm. no it did not happen on day six it was not a humane euthanization what really happened is their thermal regulator did not work and she overheated and died within six hours i want to show you what Leica looked like because she's such a sweetheart it's a jack russell terrier isn't it i've seen this photo i think what you're gonna show me it's a very popular meme photo here we have oh yeah yes i've seen look at this look how happy she is in her little this is prior to going into space obviously she does not know my brain is so ruined from the internet that i'm like just seeing all these pictures of her and my mind is just like we're going on a trip on our favorite rocket ship flying through the night you know that song no (laughs) but i love it it's a popular vine tiktok song but look at her (laughs) she's so here she is and her little spacecraft prior to going up, she's so happy. She's smiling. And then here she is all sealed in. And she's like, wait, what? what's happening? Yeah. And then she dies six hours after being launched. And in recent times, I think people in Russia have sort of realized that this was fucked up. And so now they have a monument to her. And they also put her on a stamp. Oh, okay. Like, like, on 11th of April, 2008, Russian officials unveiled a monument to Laika. A small monument in her honor was built near the military research facility in Moscow that prepared Laika's flight to space. It portrayed a dog standing on top of a rocket. She also appears in the monument to the conquerors of space in Moscow. Over five months later, after 2,570 orbits, Sputnik 2 with the corpse of Laika disintegrated during re-entry on the 14th of April, 1958. Sick. That is so morbid to think about. I know. I like it. Okay. January 31st, 1958. Explorer 1, the first American satellite to reach orbit, is launched in the U.S. It was developed under the U.S. Army's Jupiter Project and carried scientific equipment that led to the discovery of the Van Allen Radiation Belt. A Van Allen radiation belt is a zone of energetically charged particles, most of which originate from solar winds that are captured by and held around a planet by that planet's magnetic field. Earth has two such belts. Yeah, that's where you can see the lights, the Balto lights. I think people call them the northern lights. Oh, is that the same thing? Yeah. So the Earth has uh, like a magnetic force, right? And then Mm -hmm. the charged particles from the sun are go over the poles and make that light show because there's basically uh, the way that the Earth is charged is on the poles. The if you like saw a photo of it, the magnetic field like is really thin there. So here's a diagram showing the Van Allen radiation belts. Yeah. So the northern lights are in the places right here. 
like up oh the interesting top and at the bottom. then on march 5th 1958 explorer 2 is launched in the u.s but fails to reach orbit then march 17th 1958 the vanguard 1 satellite is launched by the u.s and it continues to function for three years may 15th 1958 the ussr launches sputnik 3 October 11th, 1958, the U.S. launches the Pioneer 1 to a height of 70,700 miles. January 2nd, 1959, the USSR launches the Luna 1. The Luna 1 becomes the first man-made object to leave geocentric orbit and the first man-made object to orbit the sun when it accidentally overshoots the moon. Side note, do you remember from episode 1, the Dyatlov Pass incident, mm-hmm. we talked about the Luna 1? Yeah. So keep in mind that... This is that's why one of the theories from episode one, just to do a quick callback, is people think that they ran outside because they saw not the Luna one because this happened a little bit before the incident, but a similar rocket. So being the launched, time that you're talking satellite. about right now, like literally my man Yuri is like my knees hurt right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is the time you're totally right. This is the time where that guy turns back. The guy with arthritis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. My man, my man Yuri. Yeah. Okay, March 3rd, 1959, Pioneer 4 is launched on a Earth-Moon trajectory. It passed within 37,000 miles of the moon before falling into solar orbit. September 12th, 1959, Luna 2 is launched by the USSR, and it impacts the moon on September 13th, making it the first man-made object to do so. So my whole point to this timeline so far is Russia is winning. Yeah. Okay. Good. October 4th, 1959, Luna 3 is launched by the USSR. It orbits the moon and photographs 70% of its surface. April 1st, 1960, Tiros 1, the first successful weather satellite, is launched by the U.S. August 18th, 1960, the U.S. launches Discoverer 14, its first camera-equipped spy satellite. Mm. November 8th, 1960, John F. Kennedy is elected the 35th president of the United States. Mm. April 12th, 1961, the USSR launches the Vostok 1 spacecraft from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan with cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin aboard. Yuri orbits the Earth once, becoming the first man in space. Wow. And I want to show you. Yuri. I want to show you a video of Yuri. Is everyone in Russia named Yuri? Yeah, I think it's a very common name. It's so slow to launch. I mean, I know it's going pretty fast, I'm sure, but... It looks like it's slow-mo, right? Right. Well, I guess it probably takes a lot of power to get it off the ground, and then once it gets going, it goes faster. And so Yuri is just, like, in that, like, little tip of that thing, just like, I hope I don't die. Yeah, for real. I know you're terrified of flying. Would you rather be on a... Be the man in in a manned spacecraft that's going up to the moon, or have to fly your own airplane here here on earth to your safety that's a really good question (laughs) i think i would rather go to space not with the ussr though because they (laughs) clearly did not care about a lot of things i would go in modern times with the u.s and i would not do anything i would literally just be a passenger and i would be there while all the smart people are doing their calculations and taking us safely Mm. to and from earth and um this is kind of off topic i didn't write this into the story but to go along with what you said i was reading an article recently actually you know what it was it was upvoted on reddit an article on r slash today i learned wow something good upvoted on reddit yeah i gotta get in there right it It was really good (laughs) and it was an article about how people who go to outer space 
are more likely to, which I guess seems kind of obvious, but it was cool that they did a study about it, are much more likely to value the earth and its environment and to think about issues globally instead of nationalist, like nationally. So even though we think of astronauts as being, you know, doing this great patriotic service for our country and specifically, actually, when they go to outer space, they're much more likely to, instead of being patriotic, think about the world as like very globally proud of the earth in general mm. and not just country. They've seen it. I also, I mean, astronauts are like top of the top of educated people. Yes. Like, right. Yeah. And to me, Smartest. I think, yeah, I think that the more educated you become, the more you realize that we're all stupid together. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. That's there's probably no, true. There's, yeah. There's like no one that's going to win. Right. So we all just have to like, band we together. all have to help each other out. Yeah. <laughs> so then I want to show you. So I just showed you the Vostok one launching. Um, now I just want to show you what Yuri looked like inside of the Vostok one. I can imagine as a male astronaut in Russia, you're like, I'm probably going to die. But like, if I make it, I'm just gonna have so much pussy for the right. rest of my life. Exactly. <laughs> That's so, why they're smiling so big. So there he is being strapped in. Yeah, he's hot. That. And then here he is. It's taking off. Here he is inside as it's taking off because they had cameras all throughout obviously oh, yeah, the g-force yeah he's got so much force on him and these early spacecrafts too something i want to point out that's also relevant to our story is these early prototypes the astronauts actually didn't do anything they had no ability to fly the craft they had no ability to bring it down it was all controlled from the land so they were literally oh. only inside the craft to be in outer space back? no to just to say that they were in outer space oh, wow. everything was actually being controlled down below so you really had to put a lot of faith into your flight crew that are on the ground helping you mission control that are helping you get down and up that's crazy i know i don't think i trust anybody enough <laughs> yeah. to be able to do that I, that's but that's literally the only reason you do it is to for the notoriety I guess. exactly and so i want to show you some photos of yuri what do you oh, think? Very you hot. think he's hot? Yeah. Yes. I mean, oh. astronauts in general are pretty hot. I mean, great smile. To me, it's all about the smile. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he looks like he's just so stoked yeah, to be going to very, space. He looks very wholesome. Wait, but that last one, Slay. Yeah. So look, at he's smizing. He's giving, yeah. He's giving us some side eye there. Yeah. Tyra would be proud. <laughs> okay. So Russia being the first country to put a human in space was obviously a huge deal. It set the tone globally for Russia to declare their supremacy and to solidify their place in history as one of the most powerful world leaders on earth. Yuri Gagarin became a national hero of the Soviet Union and Eastern Bloc and a worldwide celebrity. Newspapers around the globe published his biography and details of his flight. Moscow and other cities in the Soviet Union held mass demonstrations, the scale of which was only second to World War II victory parades. Gagarin was escorted in a long motorcade of high-ranking officials through the street of Moscow to the Kremlin, where in a lavish ceremony, he was awarded the title of Hero of the Soviet Union. Gagarin embarked upon a world tour, visiting England, Italy, Germany, Canada, Brazil, Japan, Egypt, and Finland to promote the Soviet Union's accomplishment of putting the first human in space. His meteoric rise to fame made him into a Russian rock star with groupies and fans around the globe. Oh, I knew it. 
So he was the first man in space, and he completed a little over one orbit of the Earth on 12th of April, 1961. They brought him back down successfully. He survived. We have pictures, video footage, verification that he survived. He became this huge rock star celebrity for being the first person to be put into space. And it was even more impressive because it was successful. Mm. It was their first time putting a human in space around the globe, and he came back successfully. He was so famous that he went on these tours that I just talked about. Like he was talking about how great the USSR is. And actually, so there I have, he was married. Mm. And a funny story is that he- Quote married. Married. Yeah. He went on a vacation. This is sort of off topic, but I thought it was funny. He, one of the stories about him is he went on a vacation to Sochi. Mm-hmm. And he was on a yacht and had some sort of yachting accident. And uh, somebody he got rescued and was being checked up on in the hospital. And he met this nurse there. Mm-hmm. And the nurse was very attractive. And she was like super starstruck by him because it's Yuri Gagarin. Yeah. And he, apparently they went back to his hotel room. And his wife walked in on him with this nurse. And rather than just like own up to it, he chose to jump off the balcony of his hotel rather than confront his wife. And he apparently... Apparently, like he—he's fine. Like he jumped off his balcony, landed on the ground, hit his head on something, and for the rest of his life, just had a scar on his face because Wait, he didn't so want did his he wife divorce his wife. No. So how do we know that story? Uh, I believe I don't know, but it's like a well-known story. It's like on his biography. I mean, honestly, same. Yeah. Like, right. Because you, because you can still get out of it. Right. And actually, he—he <laughs> he ended up saying that going to space. Well, he was like very grateful for it actually ended up ruining his life in a lot of ways because he didn't know how to deal with the fame. And a lot of his photo opportunities and video opportunities that he was forced to go on for this promotional tour of the world for Mm -hmm. the supremacy of the USSR involved him having to drink because everywhere he'd go, people want to buy him drinks or he's got, you know, his appearance is supposed to be at a bar. And so he kind of became a little bit of an alcoholic Mm -hmm. uh, and then had all of these women troubles is what his biography says. Uh, And so it's sort of sad, but I mean, very big, guy like he went to space first man to go to space That's amazing. okay now begins our conspiracy mm. but what if he was a dog what okay. if natalia yuri gagarin wasn't actually the first man in space after all what if there were others before yuri erased from the history books by the russian government for failing to return from orbit alive 100 percent believe it okay at the height of the space race and let me tell you, so let me tell you what this, there's a few prongs to this conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. One of the main catalysts to this conspiracy theory, or one of the main things that people cite, is at the height of the space race, there were many listening stations that had been set up around the world to listen in on American and Russian space program transmissions. These listening stations ranged from formal national stations set up by different countries' governments to informal stations set up by private citizen hobbyists around the world. One such private station was set up by two brothers named Achille and Giovanni Battista Giudica Cordelia in Turin, Italy. Yeah, I know these people. I've, yes. I've the, so pictures. they're sort of infamous now yeah. and they're still living. Yeah. Um, the brothers converted an abandoned German bunker at a site named Tori Burt using scavenged and improvised equipment in order to listen in on and monitor transmissions from the Soviet Sputnik program and explore one, the first American satellite. They were space enthusiasts and made it their hobby to listen in real time as various satellites and rockets were launched in the USSR and US and would often invite friends over for listening parties, which honestly sounds dope. Mm. Like imagine you just have a friend that is like super tech savvy and sets up 
uh, listening station, like a makeshift satellites, yeah. you know, listening in on all these transmissions from around the world. Like that sounds tight, but I also wonder, are these guys unemployed? All the people we're having fun are unemployed. True. Fun employment. That's yeah. why it's called that. So the Cordelia brothers recorded most of their listening sessions as they were fascinated and excited by space exploration and wanted to feel involved and be the first to know about every launch. Throughout the four years that the Cordelia brothers used their makeshift listening station, they would sometimes hear launches that were not being reported in the news. Mm. At first confused, they eventually came to realize that what they were listening to were secret, covert, unsuccessful attempts by the USSR to send humans into space. Mm. In all, the Judica Cordelia brothers released nine recordings they made in their bunker over a period of four years. Okay, first recording, May 1960, almost a full year before Yuri Gagarin becomes the quote-unquote first man in space. The brothers record a manned spacecraft reporting that it's going off course. November 28, 1960, about five months before Yuri Gagarin's launch, the brothers record a faint SOS Morse code signal that seems to be moving away from Earth's orbit. February 2nd, 1961, two months before Yuri Gagarin's launch, a cosmonaut is audibly recorded suffocating to death. And what they record is a failing heartbeat and breathing slowly slowing down. April 7th, 1961, just days before Yuri Gagarin's launch, a capsule is recorded orbiting the Earth three times before re-entering the Earth's atmosphere and crashing. And the conspiracy theorists say that this person that crashed is Vladimir Ilyushin and that he crashed in China. Now, this is interesting and like some of these things have been quote unquote debunked. Some people think that these recordings are hoaxes. But the interesting thing about this recording where they record um, an air... Uh, spacecraft re-entering Earth's atmosphere and crashing is that it's kind of backed up mm -hmm. because when a lot of these documents were declassified, this guy really existed, Vladimir Ilushin. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him real quick. Vladimir Ilushin is the son of one of the Soviet's best-known aircraft designers, Sergei Ilushin. During the 1960s, Sergei Ilushin was a politically powerful figure, a deputy leader of the Soviet Supreme, and the recipient of three medals as hero of the Soviet Union. His son, Vladimir, was the most distinguished of Soviet test pilots. In 1959, he set the world altitude record when he reached 30,000 meters in his Suko 9 jet fighter. In 1960, he received the Hero of the Soviet Union medal for his high-altitude and high-speed test flights. Illusion did not at first join the Cosmonaut Corps. He was not a part of the team that was pictured in a 1959 photo reportage published in the popular magazine Ag Aganyak. At the time, he was concentrating his efforts on gaining the world altitude record. Soon, he realized that his record would pale when compared with the achievement of reaching Earth orbit. 
Perhaps because of his father's considerable political clout, Vladimir Lushin was allowed to join the original cosmonaut, cosmonauts a year after their group was originally formed. He reportedly went through a special intensive training program and quickly surfaced as the most talented cosmonaut in the group. In early 1961, some photographs were published in the Soviet Union that showed Vladimir Lushin undergoing spaceflight training. One of his colleagues had been launched into space in secret in February 2, 1961, according to this conspiracy theory. Something went wrong during the early part of that flight and the pilot became unconscious. Unable to return to Earth before the beginning of the second orbit and forced to remain in space until the 17th orbit in order to avoid a forced landing on foreign soil, the cosmonaut perished in space. Vladimir Lushin was scheduled for the following flight. The fault having apparently been rectified, his capsule named Rosia was launched in the morning of April 7, 1961. It's reported that once again, something in the capsule went wrong. Before completion of the first orbit, the pilot stopped responding to radio calls from mission control. Aleutian had lost consciousness and a tragic repeat of the February mission was unfolding. Due to the high profile of the pilot, it was decided to attempt an emergency landing during the third orbit. As a consequence, Rosia would touch down in mainland China, a communist country, but with strained relationships with Moscow at that time. The normal procedure for the Vostok landing called for ejection of the pilot from the capsule at about 20,000 feet, with the pilot touching down hanging from his own parachute. Being unconscious, Vladimir was un unable to eject from Rosia and sustained very serious injuries when the capsule hit the ground. He was badly hurt but alive, gaining the honor of being the first man to return alive from orbit. But this is secret. Um, the Chinese authorities hospitalized the Lucian and kept him in China for a year as their quote-unquote honored guest, a euphemism normally reserved for to describe foreign intelligence agents. So the point of this is that it's actually true that he was in China for a year, but the Russian government said it's because he was in a quote-unquote car accident and that they sent him to China to go uh, through rehab for a year. That Th makes no sense. It makes no sense. Why would you have a really high important figure that's super important? Like his dad was like go a to super China for rehab. They're not yes, yeah. and they weren't even medically advanced yeah. at the time. Like nobody was going to China to seek out the best medical, you know, physical therapy rehab. Yeah. So it's true that he was in China for a year. It's true that he had some type of really severe injury. Um, the the formal documents say he was in a car crash and both of his legs were broken. But why the car crash took place in Russia? Why would you then ship him off in a critical condition to China to go through one year of rehab? Like they're they're just really bad liars. Yeah. Why not just say he's in rehab here in Russia? Right. Exactly. Why does he have to be in China? And why would he be in China in the first place? So that kind of gives some credence yeah. to this conspiracy theory especially to these basement listeners yeah, especially because he was a confirmed cosmonaut mm. okay cosmonaut confirmed right so on may 5th 1961 a few weeks after yuri's successful launch the cordelia brothers have a recording of an orbiting spacecraft making an appeal for help after going out of control and i'm going to play the audio Uh, 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 uh,
So the translation says five, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, five. Come in, come in. Listen, listen, come in. Talk to me. I am hot. I am hot. What? 45. What? 50. Yes, yes. Breathing, breathing. Oxygen. I am hot. This is dangerous. Should I transmit? What? Our transmission begins now. I feel hot. They're panicking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see a flame. I feel hot. Am I going to crash? Yes, I feel hot. I will re-enter. I am listening. I feel hot. See, I could never be an astronaut because I'd be like, you guys, I'm going to fucking die. I'm hot. Right. So three days after this recording was made in late May of 1961, the official Soviet news agency announced a failed re-entry of a satellite the size of a bus. So we know that there was something in space, but they were saying it was unmanned. Oh, it sounds so, like it was man. Right. And so people who believe these recordings and believe the uh, Cordelia brothers say that this is proof mm -hmm. that this was a manned flight. Now, the opposite end of this conspiracy theory is people who are actually Russian that listen to this recording say that this person does not have a Russian accent. So they're speaking Russian, but it's a foreign accent. And people debate, like, what kind well, of accent it was. That's, too, just hearing it or seeing the translation, if I'm thinking this is a Russian astronaut, right? So this is somebody who's trained in dealing with any anything, like any yeah. kind of problems. Are they going to respond that way? And are they going to say, I feel hot over and over and over again? You would think, because when we hear Mayday calls of people in modern times, it's, it's very... Um, like i i don't know it's like very formal or yeah. yeah yeah it's very disciplined it's like okay these are my coordinates right now um we lost an engine we're going down here right it's not like i think i'm gonna die i'm freaking out you right know? and then so that's why some people say no this there's no way that this could be true like mm. this is a faked recording but then on so now we're bouncing back to the conspiracy mm -hmm. th side so i as i said their cosmodrome was based in kazakhstan and so some people think that because they knew that this was going to be an unsuccessful, no way to get this person back alive sort of test flight, that they put um, someone from Kazakhstan that had limited training into this craft just in order to see if it would so work. So the astronaut that went up was from Kazakhstan? Is one of the theories, yeah. Was a foreign person, someone that... I believe that. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting side to the conspiracy theory. Because yeah. they... Why would they want to risk more rush, loss of Russian life mm -hmm. if they know that some of these are not going to be successful? Mm -hmm. So that to me is interesting. Okay. October 1961, uh, the Cordelia brothers have a recording of a cosmonaut losing control of his spacecraft, which veers off into deep space, which is honestly my nightmare. Yeah. So that would be someone that literally is just floating through space until they run out of oxygen. Yeah. That's scary. Okay. November 1962, they have a recording of a space capsule misjudging re-entry and bouncing off the Earth's atmosphere and out into space. I thought for sure that that could be proven to be a hoax because, like, how do you bounce off the Earth's atmosphere? Turns out I'm just dumb and you can do that. And the way that they uh, explain it online is think about like skipping a stone across the surface of water mm -hmm. if you come if you skip the stone at a deep enough angle it's not going to skip right mm -hmm. it's just going to go straight in right well because the gravity you have to escape the gravity of earth so orbiting is basically you're just falling forever mm -hmm. yeah i learned about this in astronomy because when you're orbiting you're you're just keeping enough uh velocity to avoid the earth's um like gravitational pull. pull so if you get too close 
the and you don't have enough velocity the earth's gravitational pull is just going to pull you in right yeah so in this theory the person didn't come in at the right trajectory and just bounced off mm-hmm. and out into deep space so now we have two that's the those two are honestly the scariest to me Okay, and then we have April of 1964, another cosmonaut is killed when his capsule burns up in Earth's atmosphere. That's one part of the conspiracy is these recordings that we have. So that all really hinges on whether or not you think the Cordelia brothers are credible. Mm -hmm. What I will say is that uh, their recordings have been published. They actually got into a newspaper after they made them public, and they went on a TV show and were able to win some sort of contest and able to tour the u.s nasa facility in the 60s so i wonder like would the u.s agree to let these guys tour a facility if they thought they were just crackpots spewing conspiracy theories i don't know yeah yeah i don't know i don't know either so then we have the erased from pictures conspiracy that you were talking about so this is not a conspiracy either this is proven fact that Mm -hmm. there were cosmonauts that were erased from russian history books and military officials and military officials anyone who didn't like agree with what was what was being said yeah (laughs) totally yeah so one of the people that was erased his name is grigory nelyabov And he was one of the original 20 Soviet cosmonauts who was dismissed from the Soviet space program in 1963 for drunken disorderly conduct. His existence in the program was kept secret until the advent of Soviet glasnost in the late 1980s. He committed suicide February 18, 1966, just three years after he was dismissed from the cosmonaut program because he was so shamed. So in these pictures that we can see of all of the cosmonauts lined up, Originally, the pictures that were published in the newspaper, every, nobody thought anything of it. These that's are, cancel culture. Yeah, that's they cancel culture. Them. Yeah, they did. This is early cancel culture. You're right. He got drunk in public and they're like, nope, you're canceled. Nope, sorry. Yeah. So there's. So if you compare um, in the 1980s when stuff was declassified and then in the 2000s stuff was de- like further declassified, more and more documents as time went on, the 1980 version of the photo people noticed wait a minute, there's more people in this mm-hmm. photo than in the original. So an early, f- like, crude Photoshopped version of the f- of that picture of the 20 cosmonauts has all 20. Mm-hmm. And then um, when you see the Photoshopped version, there's only, like, 16. Mm. So they're trying to figure out who all these people are. And they were able to figure out Grigori was one of them. Uh, Grigori was born in Crimea. He was a captain and pilot in the Soviet Air Force. He was selected as one of the original 20 cosmonauts in 1960, along with Yuri Gagarin, who we now know because first man in space, quote unquote. The following year, six of the original 20 were evaluated for assignment on Vostok flight crews between January 17th and 18th. Gagarin and Nelyabov, the guy we're talking about, were considered the top two candidates. For Vostok 1, Nelyabov was chosen as second backup for Gagarin and presumably first backup for Vostok 2 in April and August of 1961, respectively. For the dual launches of Vostok 3 and Vostok 4, Nelyabov was again chosen as the backup for those two pilots. However, in March 27th in 1963, Nelyabov was arrested for drunken disorderly conduct by the military security patrol at Chikyalovskaya Station. According to reports, the duty officer agreed to ignore the whole incident and not send the report if Nelyabov apologized, but he refused and the matter was reported to the authorities. Because there were previous incidents, all three were dismissed from the cosmonaut corps on April 17th, 1963, though not officially until May 4th. Pavel Popovich, secretary of the party organization, 
organization tried to resolve the situation by calling a party meeting where Nelyabov was once again invited to apologize to the patrol chief and to the other cosmonauts, but he again refused. He was dismissed, never having completed a space mission. Following his dismissal, he went back to flying interceptors in Far East, but fell to drinking and depression. He died on February 18, 1966. While drunk, he stepped in front of a train, and it was officially ruled a suicide. To protect the image of the space program, efforts were made to cover up the reason for Nelyabov's dismissal and his following suicide. His image was airbrushed out of the Sochi 6 photo, which showed the top members of the original class of Soviet cosmonauts. The airbrushing has aided the conspiracy of the lost cosmonauts, which is the conspiracy we're talking about today, because image was so important to them that this just further demonstrates that the Russian government would do anything to even so far as literally airbrushing people out of history. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. And I mean, it's I mean, proven. so far, nothing you're saying to me sounds like a conspiracy. Thank you, because that's what, how I feel about it, too. But when you go online, there are so many people that are like, I don't believe this conspiracy. Look, it's too I'm, far fetched. I'm from the, uh, you know, part of the country where people are have a very deep distrust of the government. Yes, yeah, totally. It runs very deep in my blood. And living in California, where everyone is kind of like, we love each other and we're going to all help each other out. It sort of helps me, you know, but like I'm I'm sort of, I, I can recognize now that I have problematic tendencies and thoughts and uh, like political factions that don't serve me. It's just like what I grew up with. And so it's like a knee jerk reaction to think a certain way. Right. And one of those is that I don't trust the government at all. And absolutely. I agree at all. Even when they're like, Oh, declassified document. I'm like, it doesn't matter whether it's declassified or classified. Like, I, I don't have faith that this is the real document. Yeah. I don't yeah. even have faith that they keep things. If you don't look, if you have a secret, you don't want anyone to know. Are you going to put it on a piece of paper and then be like, don't open this for 20 years? Yeah, right. Only show it to the people that you trust. You're going to be like, fuck, no one's going to know about I'm this. I'm burning this. I'm literally going to kill you because yeah, I just yeah. told you about it. Exactly. Right? Okay, good. So I'm glad we're on the same page because and I also think that right now, too, people in the U.S. have an extreme distrust of the government and we also have an extreme distrust of Russia right now. So mm-hmm. I feel like this... Uh, this conspiracy theory is going to start resurging yeah. because people really don't trust U- U.S. Um, politics right now and they don't trust Russia right now. Right. So I just don't look. First of all, trust no one. But yes. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I and ex- I barely trust myself. Uh, yeah, yeah. I extend that belief onto everything. Exactly. So now I'm going to talk about another cosmonaut that was airbrushed out of photos by the Russian government. His name was Valentin Bondarenko. He was a Soviet fighter pilot selected in 1960 for training as a cosmonaut. On April 28, 1960, Bondarenko was chosen to be among the first group of 20 cosmonauts. Bondarenko was the youngest member of the cosmonaut team. He began training on May 31st for a planned launch on the manned Vostok spacecraft. On March 23rd, 1961, he was in the middle of a 15-day endurance experiment in a low-pressure altitude chamber at the Institute of Biomedical Problems in Moscow. The chamber's atmosphere was at least 50% oxygen. Bondarenko, having completed work for the day, removed monitoring biosensors from his body and washed his skin with an alcohol-soaked cotton ball, which he then discarded. The cotton ball landed on an electric hot plate, which he was using to brew a cup of tea. The cotton ignited, and Bondarenko tried to smother the flames with the sleeve of his woolen coveralls, which caught fire in the chamber's oxygen-rich atmosphere. Because of the pressure difference, it took a watching doctor nearly half an hour to open the chamber door. 
Bondarenko's clothing burned until almost all the oxygen in the chamber was used up and he suffered third-degree burns over most of his body. The attending physician at Botkin Hospital recalled in 1984 that while attempting to start an intravenous drip, the only blood vessels he could find for inserting a needle were on the soles of Bondarenko's feet, where his flight boots had warded off the flames. According to the doctor, cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin spent several hours at the hospital as death watch officer, and Bondarenko died of shock 16 hours after the accident, less than three weeks before Gagarin's historic flight. News of Bondarenko's accident and death was not published at the time. Bondarenko had already appeared in group films and photos of the first cosmonaut group, and his unexplained disappearance sparked rumors. In 1980, the details of this incident were at last published in the West, the Soviet government airbrushed out the cosmonauts' image from an official 1961 photograph of the first six cosmonauts selected for training, and five people had been erased from an earlier group photograph of 16 cosmonauts. The Russian government erased Bondarenko and denied his death until the 1980s when documents were declassified. They considered his death and failed experiment an embarrassment to the Soviet space program. Okay, and so now we have another declassified incident that has been proven to be true. So on October 24th, 1960, as many as 200 people burned alive when a rocket malfunctioned, releasing toxic gas. That sounds really bad. Yeah, this is really bad. So the exact number of people that burned alive is not known. They were there watching? So yes, yeah. People that were working on this um, rocket launch, people that were engineers, people that were just observing the space launch. And we don't know, we still don't know, even though these documents have officially been declassified in, in the early 2000s, we still don't know how many people actually died. But the estimates are anywhere between 70 to 200. And they were burned alive during a launch pad accident. During the accident, with the, which the Russian Space Agency says was a veritable inferno, people were, were burned alive or vaporized altogether, while others died of noxious fumes or succumbed to burns. Authorities and relatives of those who died in this accident and others um, hold a memorial service now every year, now that it's been declassified, at the Baikonur Cosmodrome and also lay flowers on mass graves. In 1960, the Soviet Union, locked into a space race with the United States, was developing an intercontinental ballistic missile known as the R-16, and on October 24th that year, was scheduled to launch a prototype rocket when it exploded on the launch pad. People died in horrific pain, essentially burning alive, but the country and the rest of the world would never learn anything about the terrible catastrophe and the heroes involved. To this day, it is considered the most horrific tragedy in the history of space exploration. The Russian Space Agency, citing Soviet scientist Boris Chertok, says approximately 126 people died, but also note that the exact number of casualties is hard to pin down since the Russian government tried to cover it up and may range anywhere between 70 to 200 people. The testing crew accidentally initiated the second stage of the rocket, which ignited the first stage to cause the disaster. Those closest to the rocket were more or less vaporized, and many of the victims only later succumbed to their burns. Known as the Devil's Venom, the rocket fuel was so noxious that those who jumped into blast wells to escape the inferno were found asphyxiated. Okay, so basically what happened was they were launching this test rocket and they were using this type of rocket fuel that is now no longer used for yeah. this reason. And it's basically the equivalent to what was used in the Holocaust to gas Jews. 
that's basically what this rocket fuel is. Mm. So already a pretty bad idea. Yeah. But the whole idea was we're going to get this rocket set up and rocket launches happen in stages, which you already know, but maybe our listeners don't know. So basically it causes a chain reaction. Like one thing happens, which causes another thing to happen, which causes another thing to happen in order for the rocket to take off. Right. So because to escape the Earth's gravity, it's all about like controlling your weight. So after there's so much fuel that's required because you need so much energy to escape the atmosphere. So after they use up the first tank, then that huge container just falls back down to the Earth and it disintegrates. And then you go through the second one and the third one. Yeah. So it's like that way when you get to the final that way you don't have any excess weight and so if that were to all go off at once you're using you're using enough energy that it takes to get a spacecraft out into space all in one moment right and on the ground yeah yeah so no not at all and so you explained that really well so what happened in this incident was the second engine actually ignited first by accident And then that caused the first one to ignite, which then caused the third one to ignite. And so all of this noxious gas is released on the ground at once. And so the people closest to the rocket were vaporized immediately because of just the sheer heat and force of this gas. suffocated or had like burns that they died from. Exactly. And there are firsthand accounts because some people were inside like protected glass walls as Mm -hmm. this was happening, like far away observing. So it was the people that were actually on the ground doing the grunt work that died. And so the people that were watching from afar had to watch as people were vaporized in front of their eyes. And then the people further away on the ground tried to run. But this is how fucked up the Russian government is. Once they realized that this accident was taking place, they locked all of the gates that were surrounding the area on the ground. So people were running. The people who weren't immediately vaporized were running towards the gates to try to get out. The gates were locked. So they ended up suffocating to get death. Say like, oh, this is what happened. Exactly. And so they ended up suffocating to death. What a terrible fucking way to die. And all of this was covered up. Like people just didn't know what happened to their loved ones for the longest time. The government just wasn't saying anything to them about it. And they tried to sweep it under the rug until some of these documents were declassified. So we do know that this is a fact. This happened because this is linked to the conspiracy because it shows how secretive the government was. Uh, And so people were saying like, linking this to the lost cosmonaut theory and saying look like look at all these other things that were covered up and for the longest time people were saying that never happened if something if that scale of a tragedy happened we would surely have heard about it in the news somebody would have come out well now we know that it is true okay another thing that was proven true that goes along with the lost cosmonaut theory is that um prior to putting a man into space we were doing and I guess not we, I should say the Russians, were doing these experiments to see if people could jump out of like hot air balloons, essentially, mm-hmm. like weather balloons yeah. really high up in the stratosphere, jump out and could they survive and parachute? Like and, the Red Bull guy. Yeah, like the Red Bull guy. Yeah. That guy's fucking tight. Um, so they were just trying to see like how high up can we go in these pressurized suits and jump out and live? Okay. So there were three people that were um, that are confirmed that were hired to do these jumps. First one jumps out and survives. Second one jumps out and dies. And they tried to cover up his death. How did he die? He hit his head his uh, on the balloon platform before jumping. And it depressurized his suit and he exploded oh. inside his suit. And the government also tried to cover that up. That is so graphic. Yes. So the government tried to cover up that this man jumped out of a hot air balloon, hit his head on the side of the platform, suit depressurizes, and he explodes. This is like 
Final Destination deaths. Yes. These are so terrible, these deaths. And it sort of does a disservice to all these people that lost their lives in the name of space exploration and these animals that yeah. lost their lives because none of this was ever talked about until documents were declassified. Okay, so I wanted to show you this picture of um, someone who's been photoshopped out. Oh, yeah. So these this is proven. Like, these are actual documents. Wow. And it was actually released. The Russian government is like me as like a 19-year-old, like a Photoshop, like putting a smiley face over like someone I don't like. In right. A photo of yes. Me. <laughs> they were so petty, right? Yeah, like so petty. So someone gets in a fight and they now are photoshopped out of the history books forever. Right. Like, like this is like the Kardashians. Like you cannot be in the Christmas. Yeah. Or, or that guy who supposedly was in a car accident and broke his legs. He was photoshopped out of photos. Yeah. Why? If he was really just in a car accident, who cares? Look, if they really are doing this because they're trying to be like the most powerful country in the world and they don't want people who disagree with them or make them look bad then they should be photoshopping in some cool people you know like right put marilyn monroe in there put other influential people in there yes jesus was jesus was on the the side of the ussr yeah and he was rooting for them exactly they should have released some documents that were like it has been found that jesus christ actually russian exactly (laughs) yes (laughs) confirmed jesus a russian confirmed so author james oberg a former scientist at nasa mission control in houston has been a space nut since before sputnik and vostok as a private sleuth of soviet era space secrets he has written many books and magazine articles on various space mysteries and true histories including the erased cosmonauts in this gallery that i'm going to put up photos from this gallery which he discovered in the early 1970s and first publicized the soviet union's string of space triumphs over the United States was tarnished by a series of falsifications that surfaced and cast doubt on all of their accomplishments, even the genuine ones. So how long is it before we get a memorial or something to these erased people? Right. That's what I want to know. How can we even find them? Well, we don't know their names is the thing. Now, the female cosmonaut that we listened to her burning up in outer space, possibly. We don't know if we believe this recording or not. Right. Like they were allowing females to be cosmonauts at this time. So you want to know why? Why? They had already put the first man in space Mm. and then the u.s followed a a month after russia put the first man in space u.s also put the first american man in space so now the next thing that they were trying to do was put a woman in space what a simple time right we go moon we win earth we yeah. put man, they put man space. We put man woman. Also <laughs> we put man woman in space. We put we put dog in space. We put man in yeah. space. Now we put man woman in space. <laughs> okay, now I want to talk to you about April twenty fourth, nineteen sixty seven. They're putting another cosmonaut into space on the Soy Soyuz one. And his name was Vladimir Komarov. So Vladimir Komarov was going into space and he knew, according to the lore, that he was going to die. He knew that they had no way of bringing him back down, but he was afraid that if he said no, they'd kill him anyways. They would either kill him anyways, punish him, yeah. erase him from like I mean, think about the guys that were erased from history that literally like committed when the suicide. The KGB is going on yes. too. Like yes. you say you say no to government like that night. We you're disappear you. Yeah, yeah. Someone knocks on your door. Right, or you quote unquote step in front of a train while drunk and commit suicide. Exactly. Yeah. So he knew that he was going to die, most likely going to die. And he was afraid that if he didn't say yes, something bad would happen to him or his family anyway. And two, his backup would have to go into space and it was his best friend. 
Oh my god, wait, this is like Pearl Harbor. I know. Why hasn't someone made a movie about this? They need to. This <gasps> needs to be made into a movie. Okay, tell me the story and I'll provide dramatic Okay, backdrop. so I'm going to show you what happened to him. I'm going to play for you his final transmission. Oh. And I'm going to show you his open casket at the funeral. I'm crying. Okay, so let me play for you first his last words. Yeah, so it's all in Russian. I'm going to put in the original audio so that our listeners can listen to it if they want. But basically, he's saying, you put me in a botched spaceship. Oh, he's... He's He's cursing the Russian government as he's about to die and burn up. Uh, He's coming... So right now, he's re-entering Earth's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And they have no way of bringing him down safely. The spacecraft is malfunctioning. They did not do enough safety tests on this this spacecraft. And he knew that going Mm -hmm. up. And as he's coming down, about to die, and he knows he's about to die, he's saying, you put me in a botched spaceship. Don't let them erase me from history. Let them know what happened to me. I want an open casket at my funeral. I want people to see what they've done to me. So I have the chills. Right. I know. But like, how, where did we get this audio from? Why didn't they erase him? So they tried to erase him. Um, but then when things were declassified, now we have this audio and we have pictures of the open casket of his open casket. And I want to show you. I like see I just don't understand why anyone would respect that wish like you would think if this was the government that they can do whatever they want and they would just be like no he had secret military funeral right <laughs> so yeah right yeah. so I don't know why they took pictures but you could I'm gonna show so, like, you how, how do I know that this isn't fake because uh, it's it's not okay yeah okay what I'm saying I'm I, well it's his funeral so there's pictures of like his his okay mom show me. crying side okay I, this to me is very graphic, but you might not think it's graphic. Yeah. So I'm sorry. That is like horrifying. So basically what I'm looking at right now looks, it looks like someone took some hamburger helper and then like, it looks like a meteorite to me, like pieces of rock. It does not. I would never have known that was a human body. And that just like demonstrates how horrible or the, or the, I guess better way to put it. This demonstrates to me the complete disregard for human life that the USSR had during the space race. Like, this is graphic. It says only a chipped heel bone survived the crash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that at this time, being in the military or being an official was such a position of power and you're in a place where you have a lot of respect. Right. Yeah. And so I think that it was worth the risk for some people, for a lot of people, it was worth the risk and they probably thought, okay, well, if I die doing something respectable, that's like the most honorable way that I could die. Right. Right. So I could see how at this time, this was just wow oh he was amazing you know he's like a went to space he did all this like they're so nationalist like, yeah he did all this stuff for his country he's a patriot he's helped out so much he's changed the world and now we look back at this and especially and we're horrified audio, yeah. yeah we're like wow this is fucked up yeah like this is inhumane super inhumane i'm just looking at the people's faces looking at that and too and like they're just 
You know, like they went home after that and like had a cigarette and like some scotch or whatever they drink. And this would I would have PTSD if I had to listen to this man in real time. Yeah. That I had been working with. Ta- knowing he's about to die hearing his final words and then I have to go to his open casket funeral and see what's How left of him best friend ever live up to that and I know right I have a question for you Alyssa yes <laughs> you know what I'm gonna ask you <laughs> okay you have to go you're the first up to go to space oh with God. the North Korean government oh, no they're gonna send why you? the North Koreans <laughs> <laughs> because you have to because it, i think it's the same as russia at this time and i'm the backup what do you do you decide to go or do you make me go man <laughs> but you wouldn't go i know that if i bitched out you would also bitch out if we both knew that we were gonna die like right. hey you do this you're gonna die what's yeah. stopping us from both bitching out i would bitch out but I would expect you to bitch out too. If you told me you weren't going to bitch out, that would be harder because then I feel like I have to be the sacrificial lamb. Well, we're, we're like if ever, what person down the line is going to be like, no, I'm going to do it if every single person before you bitched out. Right. Well, you know what's okay. This is like kind of a funny anecdote. So if people who are super interested in the lost cosmonauts of Russia um, can also listen to, there's a podcast called Thinking Sideways. They did an episode on it and I like kind of skipped through some parts and uh, this girl that's on the podcast had a really funny point where she was like, why is it always that they're launching the spacecraft before all the safety tests are completed? Why can't they launch it before it gets painted? Like, if you're going to skip steps, don't yeah. choose the safety tests to right. skip. And I was like, that's so like funny and insightful. Yeah. Like they made sure to paint it and have it look all nice yeah. and have like the lettering on the side. But right. th- that's not the step they chose to skip. Yeah, I don't even feel like I don't think that there were safety tests ever trying to be taken. You right. Know, they're like, we've spent so much money on the spacecraft. We're gonna, we only got one shot to do this. Yeah. Let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do. And especially because, I mean, the space race was super tight in that. Think about it. They put Yuri Gagarin in space. He comes back successfully. Less than a month later, the U.S. does the same thing. Mm-hmm. So we were literally within a few weeks of each other for so yeah. many of these accomplishments. Uh, And so it was truly a race. So now I want to talk to you about another thing that happened um, that only was recently declassified. On March 25th, 1961, a group of peasants in the city of Izyevsk, a village near the Ural Mountains, call back to episode one, in the Ural Mountains in the center of the Soviet Union, watched a man fall from the sky. He wore a bright orange jumpsuit attached to a blooming parachute. His arms shook. His legs flailed. When he succumbed finally to gravity, he crumpled onto the snow-covered ground and made no noise. The Izvech villagers uh, were baffled by the sight of the fallen flyer and his quote-unquote lumpy body. They ran to him, opened his helmet's visor, and were even more bewildered by the new sight that greeted them. I want to show you what they saw. Is it a charred-up man? It's a mannequin? Yes. It's a mannequin. So this mannequin, which Mm. is super fucking creepy. Yeah. His name is Ivan Ivanovich, which is... Why does he have a name? They gave him a name. And it's the Russian equivalent of John Doe. So they named him Ivan Ivanovich. Ivan Ivanovich? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was reading it and I was laughing. It's like a fake name. It's like John Johnson or... Yeah, yeah. yeah, Harry Harrison. (laughs) Okay. So he flew into space on Karabal Sputnik 4 on the 9th of March, 1961, accompanied by a dog named Chernushka, various reptiles, and 80 mice and guinea pigs, some of which were placed inside of his body. To test the spacecraft's communication systems, an automatic recording of a choir was placed in Ivanovich's body, and also an automated recording of a traditional Russian dish recipe. 
Wow. This way, any... Re- yeah. That's just really funny. Like, if it, it you were to think of anything that's going to be in a rocket, it would not be, like, no. a bunch of mice and guinea pigs, a live choir recording, exactly. and, like, food that's, like, at home Like, which makes me wonder, did the Russians have a sense of humor, or was this lost on them? And they, they were just, like, practical Russian. We put recording of my wife making casserole i think the russians have a super dry sense of humor so you think that they knew that this was funny yes okay then that makes the story better i think that the pictures you showed me of the charred remains of the guy that burned up and was like do the open casket like i think that they're like trying not to laugh while they're looking at that. you think so yes okay yeah could be so um the dog named chernushka accompanied ivan ivanovich various reptiles 80 mice and guinea pigs um, some of which were placed inside his body. They have these recordings of a choir and a recipe. Um, and, and the idea was they wanted to test the communication system. So they that's why they had these recordings playing so that they could see, hear, like to, to tell if they could hear if it was a real human talking to them or not um, to like test that equipment. And they also wanted any listening stations who were listening in to hear the recording and understand that it was not a real person. Ivan was also used to test the landing system upon return to Earth when he was successfully ejected from the capsule and parachuted to the ground. His second space flight, Karabal Sputnik 5, on the 26th of March, 1961, was similar. He was again accompanied by a dog, Zvyazdoshka, and other animals. He had a recording of a choir and a recipe for cabbage soup to confuse any listeners, <laughs> and he safely returned to Earth. These flights paved the way for Vostok 1, the first manned flight, unless we believe the conspiracy theories, from space on April 12, 1961. And let me show you the doggies. So... This is Ivan Ivanovich. Mm-hmm. Here's what he looks like, his little robot interior, which that's playing the recordings. Yeah. Here's him in his seat. Now here's him at a space museum. Um, he's not at the space museum anymore. Ross Perot bought him and has him in his house, which to me is like Who's super Ross creepy. Perot? Just like some rich guy in the US. Here's Chernushka. Oh, wow. That last picture. Blackie. The first picture is like, good boy. Yeah. I can have good time treats. And yeah. then the last one's like, me doing a bad. I know. And Chernushka, uh, Chernushka lived though. So that's oh, really? good. Yeah, Chernushka oh, lived. Chernushka, that's so cute. And then I'm going to show you, they had a press conference for Chernushka in I 1961. See, look, that's that that's why I think they have a humor. Yeah. Let me show you. It's so fucking cute. It's Chernushka and her puppies and the box of mice uh, having a press conference. This is the content that people subscribed for. I hope so, you guys. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're disappointed that I'm showing you the animals, I don't want you to listen to my podcast. So here they are. It's, so there's no sound to the press conference, but there's oh, Chernushka. What so a good girl. And look, they're showing, like, look at this fine specimen <laughs> that we will be sending to space. Like, oh, and her puppies, Yeah, those too. are her babies. They sent the babies to space, too. And they all came back fine? Yeah, oh, these wow. ones did. So the only... Rush, stuff- a bold move there. You've right? been erasing, you know, things but for... But they've been erasing people that... People and animals that died, right. they erased from history. And right. then the stuff that lived, they publish... Oh, so this was press after releases. the press. This was after the successful flight. They yes. Had, okay. I yeah. thought this was before. No, because they did like, not. If it was unsuccessful, move. right. So here's the other puppy that went to space. Her mm-hmm. name is Zvyazdoshka and her, or Little Star. Oh. And then Soviet, Soviet Space Dog Squad. These babies. The A-Team. The A-Team. And they all lived. And just Dude, like, that's. 
<laughs> Why isn't there a band called like Soviet Space Dog Squad? Let's start one. I know, yeah. right? Okay, so um, Ivan Ivanovich, when he re-entered the atmosphere, he was just found by this group of villagers in the Ural Mountains. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this specifically is because people were mystified as this spacecraft is breaking up, re-entering Earth's atmosphere. Like people are watching this, not knowing what's going on, just these random villagers. They didn't know where they were going to deploy him because this was like the government didn't know where they he was going to end up landing because he was launched in Kazakhstan. But these were very rudimentary spacecrafts. And so they're testing the ejection system, et cetera. And the villagers find this guy and at first they find they, a mannequin stuffed with animals yes that are alive or dead well yeah. the mice died i think but right. yeah the dogs lived um but yeah so they're just like what the fuck is this and they thought that he was a corpse and i i also thought that this story was interesting because you know the term uncanny valley yeah that's where that comes from is this is the first um one of the first things that causes the sensation of uncanny valley and for any listeners that are listening that don't know what that is it's a theory that has been proven that says when humans look at something that is supposed to be in our own image that are it's supposed to be human-like but it's just a little bit off mm -hmm. that the part of our brain that's activated is repulsion yeah like we are immediately repulsed yes. by that thing so that's um this was like one of the first documented instances of uncanny valley these people are looking at this thing and just going what the fuck is this i know like people were like is this an alien is this a, like a burned up body like a corpse mm -hmm. and then when you pull down the visor they had written mannequin mm. on it so that anyone who who found it would know and not yeah. think it was real. But I wanted to include this because this is another thing that was not made public for a really long time. They didn't want people to know that they were sending these weird mannequins into space. And to go back to our callback from episode one, what was it in the sky that made people leave their tent? Yeah. What if they saw something like this, like one of these test launches and they were observing it? and mystified by it so they ran out of the tent without all their clothes on and then something else happened which i'm not going to go into it because that's episode one that made them leave their tent yeah yeah and and earl mountains that's where these people were hiking from episode one when they died this is a haunted area this is a haunted area is my point so see i just feel like I feel like there's no conspiracy there. I'm just like, yep, you believe I believe it. it. I 100% believe See, it. See, I believe it too. Yeah. But there's so many people online that say, no way. I wish someone could prove me wrong. Like, I wish someone could come up with enough facts to make me believe other things. Because right. I want to believe that, you know, history is the way that we've been taught it was. And I want to believe that people who are in power actually have, like, the best will for everyone. And I want to believe that it's not just, like, utilitarianism where we're just like, well, we've got this many billion dollars and we can only afford to keep this people alive so just fuck the rest of them right because this is for the you know the the good of the whole is better than than everyone having a miserable time sure you know? yeah but i just don't think that power works that way i think that humans are conditioned to want to survive and a big part of survival instinct is fear so it's really hard for during stressful times for people to choose the most humane thing when you're afraid. You just want to choose the thing that's going to benefit you. Right. I want to solidify if I'm a Russian government official, I want to make sure that my government is superior. That's yeah. my concern. Right. So let's just fucking send people into space and maybe they won't come back. Maybe they'll die on impact. Maybe they'll die before they even make it back. Maybe they bounce off Earth's atmosphere and are wandering deep space for days and days and days until right. they but run out of oxygen. But they're a hero because they're doing this service for our nation, for right. our country. To they're a hero, but let's not talk about them. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So um, in December of 1959, an alleged high-ranking Czech communist leaked information about many purported unofficial space shots. Alexei Ladovsky was mentioned as being launched inside a converted R-5A rocket. Three more names of alleged cosmonauts claimed to have perished under similar circumstances were Andrei Mitkov, Sergei Shiborin, and Maria Gromova. So um, this high-ranking Czech official is always quoted when you talk about um, the lost cosmonaut conspiracy. He's never come out with his real name, but supposedly this is a real guy who said, hey, I was privy to this information, and these are the names of the people who died. I don't want them to be forgotten. Mm. And so then if we believe the Cordelia recordings, perhaps Maria is that female astronaut that's burning up upon reentry. Okay, and then... So in 1959, there were those three high-altitude parachutists that I mentioned. I don't think I said their names before, so I'll say them now. Colonel Peter, and then there's Ivan, and then there's Alexei. And as I mentioned, some of these guys were killed during their their high-altitude parachuting, and they were erased from history. And so that's sometimes they're conflated with, oh, these were cosmonauts. But I want to emphasize these were not cosmonauts. And I think that that's why some people don't believe the conspiracy is they say, well, yeah, but look, you're quoting these three guys that died, but they weren't even cosmonauts. But that's not why conspiracy theorists that believe this talk about these three guys. They talk about these three guys because their deaths were covered up. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they were cosmonauts in outer space that died. It's that they were participating in the space program and died and then were erased. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then there is an author in the U.S. named Robert Heinlein, and he was traveling in 1960 throughout Soviet Lithuania, and he was told by Red Army cadets that the Soviet Union had launched a man into orbit that day. But later that same day when he met with officials, they denied it. And apparently they did, they were like super shocked. Like, where did you hear that information from? No, we didn't launch anybody into space today. And this is years before Yuri was officially the first man in space. But he was told while he was touring the base, the army base, by red cadets that were there on mm -hmm. duty. Oh, we just launched a man into space today. Mm. So that's another point towards yeah. this is real. And then we already talked about Vladimir Lucian, who is the guy that is supposedly in China undergoing rehab for broken legs. But like that doesn't make any sense. And then there is another conspiracy theory uh, called the moonshot allegations. And the Soviet Union lost the manned moon landing phase of the moon race, as we all know, to the United States. However, some sources claim that just before the historic Apollo 11 flight to the moon, the Soviets undertook an adventurous attempt to beat the Americans as a last-ditch effort. So this is them being super desperate. They know we have the technology, and they're not quite there yet. So they decide, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to do it. Because if it's successful, then we win. Mm -hmm. So despite the unsuccessful first test launch of the new Soviet N-1 rocket on January 20th, 1969, it is alleged that a decision was made to send a manned Soyuz 7KL-3 craft to the moon using an N-1 rocket. This attempt is alleged to have occurred on July 3rd, 1969, when it ended in an explosion, destroying the launch pad and killing the cosmonauts on board. Official sources state that the L-3 was not ready for manned missions. Its moon landing module, the LK, has been tested a few times, but its orbiter, the 7KLOK, had not been successful, successfully tested by the closing of the moon landing program in the end of 1974. The closing of this program was officially denied and maintained top secret until 1989 when it was confirmed. So it's not confirmed that someone was aboard this. That's not what's confirmed. But when, um, but we didn't even know that they were doing this last ditch effort to get, you know, to shoot something to the moon until um, documents were declassified. So people think that somebody was aboard 
Because why else would they even be trying at this point if they know that the U.S. is getting close to putting someone on the moon? Why send it empty if you're going to do this launch at all? Yeah. 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 I just feel like with how rudimentary a lot of these tests and launches were, I 100% believe that they would just shoot someone. I mean, they were shooting up things just to see how high it could go before it died. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, and They're I, like, what's the extent of this experiment? And they're like, our hypothesis is that this maybe we'll kill something and they're like well what 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 do you mean i think you need to work your hypothesis more they're like no no no. we're just gonna like kind of like trial and error it yeah like just see what happens that seems like that was the philosophy for a lot of these like it's not ready yet we haven't done all the safety tests fuck it yeah they're like oh well who cares just put it up there and if it succeeds then we you know they're probably like super motivational about it because they really believed in what they were doing so they were like if even if you fail, you'll land among the stars. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Literally. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, cut to, uh, cut to some, somebody literally just floating in deep space with no way of getting back down. Like, right, exactly. yeah. This, I mean, yeah I, yeah. I just feel like I don't think this is even a conspiracy. I think this is just like what happened. So to me, out of all that information that I just gave you, so you agree with me that you think that this could this plausible right it's plausible yeah i think it's plausible i think if you were to just tell me like hey do you think that there were you know deaths and the of astronauts in cold war russia that were covered up and erased from history without giving me any facts or citing anything i would just be like yeah sounds right (laughs) yeah that's how i feel about it too uh, but a lot of people really hate this conspiracy theory Why? because they say Why are they so triggered? it's completely false. The Cordelia brothers are, you know, are um, uh, frauds, which like, OK, let's say that they're yeah, recording let's say that they're even fake. Right. What about I, the rest of it? Right about the rest of it. Yeah. And even knowing nothing, like you just said, I think that, yeah, Russia absolutely, as proven by declassified documents, covered up a lot of things. Yeah. So it's already proven that they covered up the death of 200 people when yes. their rocket fucked up and then it's already proven that this guy turned into a fucking burnt up meteorite upon re-entry and was super pissed about it and that's proven as true like there are so many things uh, it's proven that people were airbrushed out of photos and we still don't know who all of the airbrushed out people were it's proven that that guy that supposedly crash landed in china and was there for a year of rehab well while they didn't come out and admit that that's what happened we do know he was there for a year in rehab which is fucking weird yeah like i don't believe, I don't believe it either yeah so i think that there's you know a lot of truth to this conspiracy theory i don't think it's unheard of for countries that are in that same like position like look to make stuff up like yeah. look at North Korea how much they censor the the people who live there from what's going on in the outside world yeah like that's happening today like right now with all the technology that we have they're still trying to cover up what's what's going on exactly and I mean the Chinese government is notorious for yeah. covering up things throughout and history deaths especially when yeah they look at the Olympics from when whenever was that 2008 or something yeah I think so yeah the fake fireworks oh yeah yeah, yeah I know just like so many things that it, to me I'm like yeah especially in the 60s where you don't have random people that are able to just go and film their own footage. Like Mm -hmm. everything is controlled by the government who is having specific clips 
released to the public that are successful. The government was afraid of getting canceled. They yeah. Like, They're like, the everyone's going to cancel us if it comes out that we're just shooting up like, you know, 50 mice into space. Yeah, to see what happens. exactly. <laughs> I see. That's how I feel about it, too. Out of all those stories, do any of them like how do you like which one sticks out in your mind as being like the scariest or the creepiest the scariest i really don't i really don't like the one where y- he knew he was gonna die and he's like yes. you put me in a in a botched spaceship like you will hear from my ghost about this yes absolutely <laughs> and he's for sure haunting yeah whoever put him in which that spaceship okay for me you're gonna pick the dog i know no for me <laughs> okay. the scariest one is floating off into deep space yeah. That is terrifying because it's not an instance of dying immediately or overheat. Like, first of all, all these are horrific, yeah. right? But it's not an instance where you die upon impact immediately or you die immediately upon yeah, re-entering you know Earth's atmosphere. You know it's going to happen. Right. It's just you floating off into deep space. With your thoughts. With your thoughts. It's and essentially being buried alive. Yes. Yeah. And you're just waiting for your oxygen to run out. Right. I know. That is See, the scariest to me. I fucking hate space movies because there's never been a space movie that wasn't like something malfunctioned and yeah. now <laughs> we're going to die. Like, I think that, yes, like what I was saying, a huge part of being human is the survival instinct. And that is why space is so scary to us is mm-hmm. because we are not equipped to survive there. So we Absolutely. have to rely on our own like engineering to be able to get through it. And it's just like the unknown so yeah like every fucking space movie is like oh, i'm running out of oxygen or like something's gonna explode and i'm like can't there just be a space movie that it's like it literally just like takes pl- place in space but it has nothing to do with like something failing Remember? i want full house but in space yes <laughs> yes i want i want a movie where someone goes to outer space and finds the dead floating body of a russian cosmonaut inside oh. of their space spacecraft well, and so we want to hear from you guys in the soundcloud comments um what do you guys think about the lost cosmonauts conspiracy theory are you on the side of me and natalia and think that is plausible or are you on the side of all the killjoys on the internet <laughs> that say no it's not plausible and the cordelia do brothers you are work frauds? for the government of yeah. the russia or the united states of yeah America? whose side are you on freedom or <laughs> dead dogs because that's what you're choosing between and i hope you know that (laughs) that's a good one Alyssa. thank Thank you you. yeah thank you guys for listening follow us on our social medias yes follow us on our reddit on our discord on our twitter on our instagram yeah we're everywhere you guys figure it out yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) figure it out and um also let us know in the comments if what kind of merch you guys might be interested in for the future because yeah Alyssa made the cutest pop sockets they're very adorable I like that they're we're both on it it's like we're both aliens but we're literally interchangeable because it's two blonde aliens with boobs and one is slightly darker shade of green and one is slightly lighter shade of green but it could literally be either one of us. It's great. And we have three eyes in it. And yeah. I, for the next one, for whoever out there, because we've been getting some just like really dope fan art. If you guys want to make a fan art version of us with three eyes and three boobs, I want that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of like, what does this girl have that you don't have? Three tits from. What's that from? Legally Blonde. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Love Legally Blonde. Okay. I have to go to my improv class. Okay. Though, so I got to go. All right. Thank you for tuning in, you guys. And stay tuned for next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Get Haunted. And now some quick ending credits. Our logo was made by Alexa Dill. Our theme song was made by Stephen Suptic. Our banner illustration was made by Ayana Rose. This episode is brought to you by our April donors, Brent, Taylor, Mallory, Mike, Phil, Josh, Jonita, and Marcos, who says shout out to Zoe the Turtle. Without you all, this podcast isn't possible, and we thank you so much for your patronage. If you'd like to Venmo us and support the show, you can do so by sending money to at DogMomUSA or at NatStron. Sources for the information found in today's episode are The Atlantic, Wikipedia, NASA, and LostCosmonauts.net. Finally, today's episode is dedicated to listener Brianna Salo, who passed away last week. Brianna was an integral part of the online community for SP7, and she will be remembered fondly. We ask you to take a moment out of your day to remember her. Thank you, and we'll see you all next episode.